Uh, today we have a special guest with us, Jimmy Ardwan. How are you, Jimmy? I'm doing great, Joanne. How about yourself? I'm good. Um, I want to just let our listeners know Earl can't be with us again today. He's uh, Earl is out again today with uh, bronchitis. I know he missed us last week, and he's trying to get a little recuperating in and so uh, we've asked Jimmy to join us today. Jimmy, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? You're a lawyer. You work with me over at HCCLA's Reasonable Doubt, and you do a, a whole lot of stuff. So I, I try. I try. <laughs> I, 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 my day job is a lawyer. I practice uh, predominantly criminal defense and sprinkle in a little civil litigation with that. But uh, Thursday nights, as you said, I host HCCLA's Reasonable Doubt. It's a TV show. We focus on criminal justice issues, and um, we go live every Thursday night, 8 to 9 p.m. We're over on uh, Houston Media Source. and uh, stream that stream live. stream that live. Uh, you can also go to uh, hcclatv.com. That's the, the website for the TV show. You know, there's a lot of great stuff on there, Joanne. You know, you're a, you are a contributing blogger for the show, and you've been on the show a couple times. So it's yeah. a lot of fun. We have, a, we have a lot of fun with it. We get a lot of good calls, and we, we've built up a good following. So hopefully some of you that are on the radio right now listening will head on over and check us out. Yeah, we had uh, last week on our first show here, Legally Speaking, we had a caller who was familiar with Reasonable Doubt and uh, followed your show over there. So uh, maybe we'll pick up some more callers today. You know, I've had some random places. You you would think it's it's not exactly NBC, CBS, or ABC, <laughs> but um, I've I've run into people someplace and they're like, "Hey, you're that guy on TV," and I'm just like, uh, yeah, "Yeah, I sure am. That I sure is. am." And you, I'm I'm still getting used to that. But yeah, uh, you, know, you are that guy on. I TV. am that guy. You're also that guy on the internet. You're, that, <laughs> you're just that guy, Jimmy. Um, well, I'm glad you could join us today. No, uh, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate it. We want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on here in town. I, I was yeah. actually hoping that John would have brought me some of that lovely Greek pizza that we enjoyed the other day to get no. lunch. Did you then, go to Theo's? We did. We went down to Theo's you down there West Timer. Yes, I did. You cheated on me. You went to Theo's without me. Take Jimmy over there. Yep. I didn't even get the invite. I see how it is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the neighborhood. He was in the neighborhood. All right. We'll give him a pass on that one. That's right. Um but, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that goes on here in town. Um, I, uh, you certainly are in a lack for that right these days. Yeah, there's certainly no shortage of stories here in town. No, there's not. Um, this morning uh, I had a blog come out over, over, on, over on Fault Lines uh, about the Harris County District Attorney's Office and the Precinct 4 debacle. I know you've talked about that, Jimmy, on Reasonable Doubt um, in fact, you right after ABC News broke it, you had Paul Morgan, Emily DeToto on the show to discuss it firsthand. We did. You know, the, the fortunate thing about our show is um, I have a contact with the lawyers that are, are uh, doing it. Um, the, 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 we, we usually get some breaking stories right off, off the bat. You know, obviously, as you know, we're in contact with one another. And in fact, Emily and I, our kids go to the same school. Uh, so I was able to I kind of recruit her. We, we, I was able to kind of recruit her in the parking lot to come on the show. Uh, <laughs> in the drop-off line? In the drop-off line. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Perfect. And um, and we got Paul on there, and, uh, and of course, they're the ones who really exposed this whole thing. And we were, we were real fortunate that, that the day after the whole thing came to light, we were able to have them on our show uh, and really get to talk to them for an hour about how the whole thing developed. Well, and that's what's interesting, um, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week. Apparently, it was around January that Constable Mark Herman says he discovered that uh, one of his deputies, uh, Deputy Hess, was destroying evidence improperly and, um, you know, cleaning out the property room, getting rid of stuff, and uh, says that he told the district attorney's office. We know the district attorney's office had that information by early February into early March, uh, they were beginning to look at it, investigate it. But Emily, Paul, uh, as you discovered, come August, no one seemed to know about it. Yeah, well, you know, and we. How had, does that happen? Well, I, you know, I'm still trying to figure this out. And we we had John on the show the very next week, and of course, John, with all with all your law law enforcement experience, you were able to give some really good insight on this. But to me, the amazing thing, and, and I read your blog post today, Joanne. You know, Herman is is kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth because he wants to say this was a rogue employee who was just doing what 
you know, whatever he thought was, was the right thing to do. But Herman was the one who told him to go clean up the property room. I mean, it, it, it's like, well, wait yeah. a second. You know, it, it, I, I alluded to it one time before. And I said, it, it's like that scene in A Few Good Men where they have Jack Nicholson on the stand. Who ordered the code red? And, you know, Herman is kind of quasi-tiptoeing around here. Well, he did say something. He said to go clean out the property room. Did he give, what, what was his actual order? I mean, he, well, he's got the cover of saying, I told him to clean it out, but they went too far. Well, and, right. and Hess didn't just get up and say, you know, I think I'm going to police up the property room and get it straight. He was told that. And we discussed this before, Jimmy, that there has to be some oversight. I mean, Hess has a sergeant, he's got a lieutenant, he's got a captain. They have all these assistant chiefs out there. And then ultimately, by statute, the custodian's a constable. Somebody has to check up on that stuff. Somebody has to be aware of it. And it just goes to the oversight and uh, whether or not they're they're doing their duties. Well, and that's exactly, that's where it comes down to is, uh, you know, Herman has even admitted he told Hess and others to go clean out the property room. Now, uh, he's been quoted as saying he had four to five guys over there cleaning up the property room, and it, Hess was the only one out there just randomly getting rid of stuff, and the others were following the rules. I find it a little hard to believe that you've got four or five people all in the same room working together, and one's just off doing his own thing. Well, and if you're, the, if you're Hermit, the buck stops with you. I'm sorry. I mean, it, it just does. It stops with you. And... You know you have to, if you're going to destroy any type of evidence, you have to follow procedures. You have to get a court order. There has to be, you know, something that says you can legally do this and destroy it. And the fact that he even said, go in there and clean it out, that to me causes <laughs> problems. Because it's like, wait, wait a second. Shouldn't you have gotten authority from the district attorney's office first or someone, someone, you know, with some sort of legal authority to tell you it was okay to clean, to even clean out the property room, to well, move stuff around. And well, typically, you, when, when, I didn't mean to cut you off there, John, but typically when property is going to be destroyed, an inventory is made, and a the district attorney's office usually likes to see that, make sure they're okay with it, um, although their blessing is not necessarily required. But um, there's an inventory, and someone's going to sign off on that inventory, and most likely a judge is going to give them the authority to destroy this evidence because it's going to go to an incinerator, it's going to go, uh, you know, up for sale at an auction, it's going to go somewhere, and you need some permission to get rid of it. And I didn't mean to cut you off there, John. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, when they tell you go clean it out, I mean, you what you should be doing is uh, you should just go back there and, like I said, just pull the piece of evidence off the shelf, run the case number, see what the disposition is. Well, if the case is disposed of, then you can go through the steps to destroy and it's interesting that you say you pull the piece of evidence, run it up, and see what case it belongs to. Uh, the district attorney's office is saying that the information they got from Precinct 4, from Constable Herman, what didn't even tie the evidence to particular cases. It was just like this random list of evidence, and nobody seemed to know what case it belonged to or anything. So they're acting like it's some big deal to cross-reference all this and, and figure it out in the first place. Um, huge problem over there that they don't even know where their evidence belongs. No, they don't. I mean, I, I was just over there on a case the other day, and it, it was actually you who had brought this issue to light with me that there was a server crash up there. Oh, had, so this is not <laughs> Precinct 4's first debacle this year. No. Color me surprised. But here's the thing. I, I, I don't do, um, you know, the majority of my practice is is not... Uh, in misdemeanor court anymore. It used to be early in my career, but but I've kind of gravitated towards doing more federal criminal work and uh, that sort of stuff. So I only have a handful of misdemeanor cases now, so I'm not as in tune, and I have to rely on people like you <laughs> to help me out with some of these broader issues. But you ma you made me aware just last week uh, about an issue with this server crash on DWI videotapes that Precinct 4 had. And I, I realized, like, oh, I, I, one of my cases actually is a precinct four case, and oh yeah, it's a DWI case. So I started putting two together, and I start, I start looking at the offense report and realize there's nothing in here that says there's a video, but there's nothing in here that says there's not a video either. It doesn't say either way. Right. So I go to the prosecutor and I say, um, well, here's the thing. I, I, I don't know what the deal is, but before we do anything on this case, setting it for trial, setting it for a plea, doing whatever we're going to do to resolve this case... 
I think we need to figure out whether or not a video existed in the first place and whether or not it was destroyed. And, you know, she kind of looked at me like a cow looks at a new gate and said, what, well, what does that mean for the case? I said, it doesn't matter what it means for the case. It matters that we need to figure out whether or not evidence is gone missing in this case. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and so she pulls out this list and she starts going through it on her phone. And I'm like, you're going to have a real hard time locating it on your five-inch iPhone screen. <laughs> and well, you know, the interesting thing is, we, you know, we talk about this. Herman had this problem in January where he discovers the missing evidence, uh, fires uh, Deputy Hess, and then reports this to the DA's office. It was the email that I received on March 21st from Dick Bax at the Harris County District Attorney's Office that said they had, I'll just read it to you, uh, from Dick Bax to Joanne Music, we've recently been informed by the Harris County Precinct 4 Constable Mark Herman's office that on February 23rd, 2016, the on-site server used to store video from Precinct 4 camera, in-car camera systems experienced a hardware failure. Basically, they lost everything. Um, so, you know, in March, they're already aware there's a big evidence problem over there. And then they get this additional information about now, not only do we have evidence problems, but we also have hardware and systemic failures in our system. Um, you know, I, I, one of my first questions back to uh, the district attorney's office was, do you know if they have a backup system? I mean, you know, uh, even for my law practice, we have backups. You know, everybody at home with their kids' photos, they have backups of that stuff. Yeah, iCloud backs your stuff up. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> yeah, love Precinct, iCloud. If Precinct 4 just had an iCloud account. But no one understands the cloud. No. Uh, you know, but no, no, you're absolutely right. Where's the backup? Why is this stuff not in the cloud and saved? Um, so obviously they were going to address that. But but this, while the, while the district attorney is telling the defense bar back in March, hey, we have this video problem. Where was the same notice on, hey, not only do we have this video problem, but we've got this huge evidence problem? Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing to me. No one ever mentioned it. No, not at all. I, I don't understand why they still haven't offered their explanation on why they didn't notify the defense bar about the issues. Because they don't care. When I was reading in the paper, the only statement to justify the lapse came from the campaign and talked about, uh, well, we wanted to verify and make sure. Well, that's all well and good. You want to verify and make sure before you file any criminal charges, I'm sure. But when you think you have this massive problem, what is the excuse for not doing your duty and notifying the defense and these other people that there's a problem? Why are you continuing to take pleas? And I, I still say that it's only when they realize they could no longer control it that they made disclosure. Well, and that's exactly right, John. Uh, it was mid-August when uh, ABC 13 broke the story that, you know, Paul Morgan and uh, Emily DeToto uncovered. They broke the story on Wednesday. Uh, you know, then Emily and them are on your show, Jimmy, Thursday, and um, all of a sudden, it's no longer containable. It's out there. So from January to August is a big secret. And then all of a sudden, once they can't keep it a secret anymore, everybody's got to know about it. Well, and the worst part is, in, in Emily and Paul's case, they were still pushing their client to take a guilty plea. The yeah. state was, even after they had already known about this issue. I mean, they knew it was a real live issue, uh, and, and they're still pushing. Yeah. Instead of it for a dismissal, they're pushing Emily and Paul to have their client take a plea. And that, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy, because you heard this direct from Paul and Emily, um, but it's like, for example, it's a Monday night, let's say, and I don't remember exactly what day of the week it was, but let's say it's Monday night, Monday evening, um, after a suppression hearing, uh, they're discussing the potential that there's this missing evidence. They report back to court Tuesday morning, and the prosecutor is still pushing them to take a plea in the case instead of going forward with the trial. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. I find that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if uh, Justin Kiter, the, the prosecutor that was involved in that, have no idea if he knew the evidence was missing. It certainly sounds like he at least found that out on Monday evening, but then Tuesday morning trying to still continue the plea. Whether Justin knew it or not, 
Devin Anderson knew it. Well, and the sad part is, that case, they were trying to put that guy, had they gone to trial, they would have been trying to put that guy away for 25 to life yeah. with, without any evidence. Yeah. You got to have evidence to get a conviction. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the basic principle of criminal law. You need some evidence. Well, it's the basic principle of any law, not just criminal <laughs> law, but you got to have evidence. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're going to sue somebody right. for money, you need some evidence. Yeah. You got to have proof of your claim. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and that's the, the state claims that you did this. They claim that you broke the law. Well, where's the proof of their claim? It's the same thing as if you bring a cause of action in civil court. you got to have proof. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to remind our uh, listeners that uh, you can call in your questions at 281-447-1114. In case you have any questions for me, John, or Jimmy, just give us a call, and we'll see if we can't get you an answer. Um you know, this whole Precinct 4 thing just you know, it baffles the mind, but I want to kind of move on uh, talk about a couple of other things uh, that that I've, I'm kind of passionate about, and I know you guys uh, deal with this to some extent as well. Uh, juvenile law and police in the schools. Uh, I wrote a blog uh, just uh, this past week about uh, a kid that's a seven-year-old second grader. I wrote this one over at Fault Lines as well. A second, a second grader, seven-year-old child being bullied in the classroom. Um, teacher acknowledges, yes, he's being bullied. Uh, he's crying in class because he's seven years old. He's crying and he's upset. A police officer that's assigned to the school happens to just be walking by the classroom. Here's the child crying, so he sticks his head in, summons the kid out to the hall. When the kid won't stop crying in the hall, he handcuffs the kid and takes him down to the principal's office. No crime had been committed. No one had summoned the police, but the officer decided to step in and enforce the discipline rules in the school and went and told the principal, this kid's out of control. When do the discipline rules ever have you being placed in handcuffs? Yeah, that's, you know, especially for a seven-year-old, a second grade. I mean, even Jimmy, you've got little for kids. Even a 17-year-old. Yeah, you've like, got little kids. Would you want them in handcuffs? No. Would you, this poor kid was terrified, didn't want to return to school the next day, missed the whole last week of school. You know, when the police talk about reaching out to the community and trying to better community relations, incidents like that don't help. No, when not you, at when all. When you put a seven-year-old in cuffs for crime. Well, we had an incident. Oh, so and, I was going to um, ask you about, John. I know you, you're familiar we, with this. We had a uh, 14-year-old honor student. Very small kid, though. I mean, he was undersized for his age. 14 years old. They're selling snow cones at a booth outside the school after class to raise money for Spanish club because they're all going to go to a Mexican restaurant and all talk Spanish during the meal. So they're raising money for the meal. The kid knocks on the door, an exit door, and a Houston police officer lets him in, the officer assigned to school, so the kid can wash his hands. He goes to go out that same door, and the officer tells him, can't go out that door, because that's the school rule. Kid goes out the door anyways. She goes out there and grabs him by the arm. He pulls away, you know, like, what the hell? I'm getting arrested. At which time she slams him down and kind of, you know, puts some knots on him. So now that she's done this, she charges him with uh, assaulting a public servant, okay? So uh, we actually tried the case in juvenile court and got not true, which is a not guilty. And uh, one of the things we pointed out was, one, the officer has to be enforcing a legal duty at the time of the alleged assault, and enforcing the school rules on what door you can go out of isn't one. And then the second, we showed all the cameras in the school. Everything would have been videoed, but amazingly, they had no video. And we pointed out to the court that, indeed, if there was videotape of this child, quote, assaulting this officer, we would have seen it. But the officer didn't happen to flag uh, any of the tapes and basically and admitted in court that they were enforcing a school rule. And that's the problem you're having in the, in the schools. The officers assigned there have to justify their existence. There's not a lot of crime in school. You're not having guys getting robbed in the hallway or somebody uh, stealing in the cafeteria. So what are you doing? You're enforcing the rules. Plus the teachers look to them like a souped-up vice principal, yeah, go talk to those kids, get them to do that. And then 
what happens is they eventually get into a confrontation and they won't back down when they really have no legal authority to proceed. Next thing you know, somebody gets arrested, then they've got a mark on the record or they have to incur legal fees to clear their name. And it's just, I don't, I don't like the idea of kids in school. I know there was a murder. You don't like kids in school? Or, I'm like sorry. <laughs> Come on. The idea of, of uh, <laughs> police in the schools, I think that you let the schools handle it, and when they can't handle it, you know, you call the police and have somebody come out. But patrolling the halls, uh, I mean, we've seen so many incidents on YouTube and everything with officers tasing kids. Oh, yeah. Using pepper spray on kids. Well, how is that not child abuse? I mean, if, uh, my yeah, kid is yeah. six and a half years old, almost yeah. the same age as his seven-year-old. If he was crying and I put him in handcuffs and he decided to call CPS, they'd be out so fast and they'd charge me with child abuse. Absolutely. Make, it, you know, it would baffle people how quickly But if they you put charge. on a uniform, right. go in the school, you can get away with it. Yeah. How does that make sense in any world? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, John, I want to kind of go back to this idea of, uh, you know, schools enforcing the rules, uh, using police officers to enforce yeah. the rules. Um, you're familiar with, you know, police officers and extra jobs. They work at, you know, banks or they work in stores or malls or what mm -hmm. have you. Um, do they enforce the the school rules or the office you're, rules? You're here? not supposed to enforce house rules. And most of the time, when you get your extra job permit for the different agencies, you have to acknowledge that I am only there to enforce state law, which that means in a beer joint, you can enforce public intoxication, disorderly conduct, fights, but you can't enforce having a beer bottle on the dance floor. You know? <laughs> and, and I mean, I've seen where guys got in trouble because they went out there to tell somebody you can't have that bottle on the dance floor. And next thing you know, words were exchanged and then there's a fight but then it gets down to when you get into court and you're trying to file a resisting or you're trying to file an assault on a public servant you have to explain what legal duty you were performing at the time the incident happened and when you look through the penal code code of criminal procedure having a bottle on the dance floor isn't one of them so, so we really don't want our police enforcing house rules or school no. rules that say, you know, which door you can right. go in or out or whether you can carry a beer bottle out on the right. dance floor. And what you should do is the manager tells them, the manager tells them that, uh, you know, hey, I don't want that on there. If they don't do it, then the manager gives them a trespass warning. If they don't leave then, then the officer now is enforcing state law and makes the arrest for criminal trespass. It's, it's just absurd. It really, it, here's the thing. You know, well, with military, we have got the police so ingrained in society. It's, it's actually kind of turned into a police state. I mean, well, you talk has. to guys my age who, you know, did 25 or 30 years, and they're really surprised at the way the citizens get treated. I'm not because we let you it know. happen to us. Well, yeah. And well, then the we stand back and we're just, as long as, you know, we've got our SUVs filled with gas, we've got our flat screen TVs, we've got our Netflix, we've got our D direct TV, right. everything works, you know, oh, well, you know what, uh, if they want to come search my home, well, you know what, I, I ain't done anything wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the way people feel. So, pe but, yeah, well, people but, feel, I didn't do anything wrong, I'd let them search right. my home so jimmy you should let them search yours too exactly. no matter what exactly and you yeah. know the scary thing about this school stuff is on top of having the police in there they're now training the school administrators to in in interrogation techniques that law enforcement use they're called the read method absolutely and, and they jimmy, are, i want to talk a little bit more about that i yeah. love that you hit on that we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back and i want to talk a little bit about that read method in schools Covers me 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Legally Speaking with Music and Music. I'm your host, Joanne Music, here in the studio with John Denholm again this week and special guest Jimmy Ardwan. Uh, right before the break, we were talking about the read method in schools. We talked a little bit about policing in schools, uh, and Jimmy had brought up this interrogation method. Uh, it's known as the read method. And um, I want to talk a little bit more about that because this is something that's fascinated me for quite some time. Yeah, it is fascinating. Everybody has seen it. Everybody who watches uh, legal shows on TV, which, by the way, audience, those are not 100% accurate. But there are some things that are accurate. <laughs> and, and the read method of interrogation, I mean, you see it all the time on 48 Hours. You see it on you know, 60 Minutes when they release the police interrogation tapes where they, where they take the person into the small room and they have them in the corner. And, and it's done really, really a lot by the FBI and a lot of the federal agents, especially in those cases, because they're trying to get people to cooperate. And so they, they, they go in and they try and get a suspect in a case to, they, they try to butter up to him and say, look, we know you did this. But we, we want to help you. But we want to help you. Yeah. We're, we're your friends. This is your chance to tell us what you did and how you did it. We're, we're here to help you. And, and if you help me, that's right. You're helping I'll yourself. be able to help you, and I'll tell the this, prosecutor that right. you helped me. This is your opportunity to help yourself by helping us, you know. And, and, and so that's the way they and they, so they started incorporating that technique into school administrators with principals, vice principals, you know, teachers, and training them on these methods of interrogation to try and get students to you know, cop to things that they did in school. And it's, and it's really terrifying, talking about the police state, John, that, that that sort of thing is now trickling into school administration. 
Well, it is because, again, this goes toward if the teachers would just teach and the police would just police, things would probably run a lot better. I can tell you from uh, my years of supervising in a bureaucracy, the sheriff's office, that every time there was a problem, it was when somebody wasn't doing their job. I mean, if you had a sergeant wanting to do the captain's job or a captain wanting to do a deputy's job out there playing, you know, where he wants to go stop cars and write tickets, that's when stuff comes untracked. So when you start teaching administrators to act like police officers and then you got the police enforcing school rules, that's where the system gets broken. Kids go to school and they sit there and worry about, am I going to get arrested? I mean, it's terrible, but you just see so many times where we've always been taught, oh, the truth will set you free, always tell the truth, you'll be all right. But if you open your mouth, they just take it and twist it, and you end up getting charged even though there's nothing there. And, John, I know you're familiar with the read technique uh, from your years in law enforcement. Uh, Just so that our listeners can kind of understand, this comes from, uh, it's called the read technique. It's R-E-I-D. It comes from a man by the name of John Reed. He has a company now called John Reed and Associates where he markets this training program to police agencies uh, to pick up on business and whatnot. Over the past several years, he's began targeting this same method, um, you know, marketing it to schools, to businesses, to, you know, any other platform that he can think of so that, you know, as employers, you might want to, you know, utilize his techniques to break down your employees and find out what's going on, uh, you know, or and now particularly with schools to break down and find out what's going on. And, and John, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the read technique is all about it's using psychology to break down the suspect, get them to acknowledge the things that you are saying. When they don't want to admit something, you're basically, in a roundabout way, you start feeding them what you want to hear, and they start to parrot it back in some to some degree. In a way, it's, it's like... Uh I call it the Chinese restaurant menu. You want one from column A or one from column B. Jimmy, <clears throat> you know, I know you killed your wife. We're not even going to discuss that. That's a given. We did. We don't understand why you did it. Now, uh, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that planned this for six weeks and that this was a premeditated crime. But I also understand that people can have sudden passions and flame and and do things that they really don't understand they're doing and they're not really responsible for. So, I mean, Jimmy, is this a crime of passion or is this premeditated murder? Yeah. Just for the viewers to know. uh, Your wife is alive and well. She's alive and well, and she's more likely to be the one subject to the question. (laughs) And, 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 you you know, you always... You've got the... The interrogator here, you know, played by John, sort of encouraging Jimmy, look, we already know you did it. Now let's just get to why and kind of giving Jimmy the out. Let's say it was, you know, sudden passion. You're giving him the excuse to go ahead and admit something he doesn't want to admit. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, you see this, like I said, a lot on the federal side where they are trying to get people to cooperate. I mean, it's going on right now with the with the bombing in New York City uh, that just happened. There, there was a big article today about how the, the suspect is laid up in the hospital and can't even get a counsel in there, and the FBI is just interrogating him left and right. And you know what they're sitting there telling him is, look, just just tell us who, who you're working with. Just tell us, you know, what you've done. We, we know we've got you here. And it, that's what they're doing. And, in fact, they they filed today a motion with the court because he hasn't even br- been brought before a magistrate yet. He hasn't even been read his rights. And, yeah, and they're trying to get him. That's happen first. Right. And so think about that, you know, everybody, is that here's a guy. He's been charged in the system by the federal government. And this bombing took place last week. He hadn't even been to court yet. Now, imagine if it's your kid who's seven, eight, nine years old. Even and a 15-year-old. Or even a 15-year-old. And they're being interrogated by an administrator. They, they, you know, your kid doesn't know what their due process rights are. And that's the thing. It's like they talk about educating your kids. And I feel like now I've got to educate my kid on, hey, look, dude, you got the right to remain silent. Uh, you know, your Fifth <laughs> you Amendment is really important. <laughs> you need to use it. You need to exercise it. You need to even exercise it when your principal's questioning you, your teacher's questioning you. Right. Well, you know, especially when the with the administrators and the you know school officials using this read technique, trying to break kids down, trying to extract confessions from them. Uh, you know, 
it won't surprise our you know regular listeners, but some people would be surprised that uh, you know the district attorney's office for years has taught police um, you don't you know police in schools taught the police you don't want to do the questioning because that requires you to go in front of a magistrate that requires all these formal rules. Let's let the principal do it because the principal doesn't have to follow the same rules as the police officer. And so now we've got these uh, you know. People like John Reed coming in and saying, let me teach you as administrators how to break these kids down, how to get to the truth. Uh, you know, and what do we do as parents? We tell our kids, cooperate with your teacher, tell the truth. And all of a sudden, that's being used against them. And, uh, you know, something that doesn't surprise probably anybody in this room, but, um, you know, I think a lot of people would be surprised to find that when they've studied the Reed technique, especially with children, even John Reed himself from John Reed and Associates says you have to be extremely careful using this technique with children because they're easily suggestible. Okay. So when you make those suggestions to the kid, the kid's going to pick up on them and parrot them back as a way to make you happy, to please you. Well, and I'm not going to lie, I've, I've actually tried it on my kid at home to try and get him to Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you it know, works. Uh, it, it does it, work. It, it does work. It, it does work. You try. Yeah. I mean, because it does. You think about it. I mean, at some point, a a seven and eight, a nine year old, even going into your teenage years, at some point, unless they are just a depraved little demon child, you know, that kid is going to feel some sort of remorse and feel like, oh man, you know, I, at some point, I do need to come clean, or you know, we or they'll admit to something they didn't do. Just right. to get out of the room and get out of the pressure cooker situation. I mean, we've seen adults who have admitted to things that they didn't do just to get out of that small confined room, just so they can go use the bathroom. Who signed confessions? I, yeah, act I actually, court. I yeah. actually had my daughter scratch one of the county cars when it was in the driveway where she had like put her initials on the trunk, a little spot. And I did. I told her. I said, now, did you deliberately go out there to? to vandalize that county car, or did you just start doing it and got a little carried away? Because I know you did it. And uh, she, you know, oh, I'll take the second one. Yeah, I'll take yeah, option. Was, yeah. I'll take I door number two. Away. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You've but, given her the out, and so she's going to take it. And, uh, yeah, works great with your kids. Yeah, I, I still don't think my, my son thinks there's any consequences, but that's <laughs> uh, my wife would say that's a result of my spoiling him. Which I, I fully own up to. Yeah. Spare the rod, spoil the child. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So he's going to have a rude awakening when you stop spoiling him, yeah. and he actually has some consequences. Exactly. So you have a, you have yeah. one son. I have one son and one daughter. Yeah. When when the son's about fifteen, they always give you that look like I think they can, I can take the old man now. Uh, yeah. You have to disabuse him of that. <laughs> <laughs> Without getting involved in child abuse. Right. Okay. Exactly. Just you know, yeah. I know John's over there thinking. Yeah, you you got to knock them back a little bit. Knock them back. But, I always believe you have to get with boys, you know, so. Yeah. But, well, you know, in Texas, I, we corporal punishment's allowed. Yeah, but you know what? The, things have just changed so much these days. Even just, um, you know, and I, I, I went to school in, in, the, uh, in the 80s. And, I mean, just in 30 years to see how much things have changed. It's, um, you know, it's, it's really incredible to see the difference between how things are in elementary school now versus how, uh, versus how they were even 30 years ago. Well, 30 years ago in the second grade, you didn't have a police officer come get you out of the classroom no. because you're crying. No. You didn't have police officers walking up and down the hall. No. Yeah. We, talking about this, uh, you know, par parental punishment, uh, you know, John, I see him chomping at the bit over there. We all, I think we all saw it on YouTube and Facebook and everywhere else. Uh, the father who's now in trouble for pulling his daughter's hair in Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the cops got there. They checked. Didn't find any damage. And we all know how kids can be sometimes. And whether it's something you agree with or not, you know, was that kid running off? grabbing everything in the store or had she just knocked over display we don't know is that how he decides to tie her close to base which is why the state gives parents a little latitude it's in the penal code 9.61 and you can use force but not deadly force to discipline your children if there's no damage just because some girl uh and i saw her with all her piercings on her face 
just because she... That wasn't a judgment there when now John, was it? Yeah, That's I always no want to ask. I always want to ask, was that a fishing accident or how'd that happen? But, That's old school, John. Uh, yeah, I know. That's old school. My gray hair is showing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's illegal. But what I'm afraid now is even though the police got there, found no damage, the kid and the father obviously gave them sufficient justification to release them, no charges. Now, because of the political pressure, because, oh, my God, it got all these likes on Facebook, we're going to have to file criminal charges, whether we can make the case or not, because nobody will make a decision anymore. Everybody's scared to make a decision. It's one of these things, well, I don't want to do this because, you know, people on Facebook may talk bad about me. None of them live in my town or can vote for me, but I'm just terrified of this. What's herd it? mentality. So we're going to go ahead and file on this guy, and we'll let somebody else make the decision. It's the political pressure. Yeah, I think we see that here in town uh, every day. Yeah. We're, you know, you guys are at the courthouse with me every day. That's what yeah. we see. You know, DAs know they can't make a case, yet they're afraid to dismiss them. You know, yeah. they they know the evidence has been destroyed, but yet they're going to keep pushing to see just how much they can get. Yeah, you know, and the crazy thing, too, is with with the way social media is nowadays, the reactions you get, that some people do stuff solely for the reaction on social media. Sure. They, they do it to get the likes on Facebook or to get the follows on Twitter. And so it's very strange because you see the the outrageous conduct, and yet you also see this, this huge 180 where you have such a – a reaction by the DA's officer, by law enforcement, that's not something you would have seen 30 years ago right. in, in how they would have policed. And, and, and I wonder if it's because of what's going on on Facebook and, and how things are being perceived. I mean, we got body cams. we got all this right. stuff that's out there. Well, you bring up an interesting point, Jimmy, because uh, I know you'll remember the case just recently with Judge Neves in Galveston. Right. Um, judge decided he was going to take a stand, a pro-law enforcement stand here in Galveston, and uh, he put out a, an official court order saying, from this day forward, I will not accept plea bargains in any case where a police officer is the victim. So, for an example, like a resisting arrest type case. Uh, no plea bargains for probation. Those people who, who resisted an officer are now going to go to jail. Issues an order. Puts it out all over social media, all over Facebook. Garners hundreds and thousands of likes and shares and comments. Way to back the blue. And what happened with that? He had to rescind the order. Blew up in his face. And you sure didn't see him make a retraction no. as publicly as he jumped out there to back the blue. Yeah, no, of course not, because it's going to get him votes. Right. It's going to get him reelected. That's the play. So it's a political posturing. You know, I'm going to be tough on crime. I'm going to support the boys in blue. And by God, no one's going to get in my way. Oh, wait, that was illegal. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but see, the, and that's the thing. The job of, of, of a judge is not to be tough on crime. The, the job of a judge... Can, wait, wait, can you say that again? Because yeah. I don't think most judges know this. No, the, the job of a judge is not to be tough on crime. Their job is to be an umpire and to call balls and strikes, you know, and to administer fair justice. And if they believe a certain sentence is appropriate, then by all means, it, you know, enforce that sentence. Give that sentence. But you can't on the front end say, I'm not going to give a, cer a, ter a certain type of sentence because an officer was involved. I mean, that, that's bias in the system. And I'm sorry, if you have bias, you shouldn't be on the bench. Exactly. You, if you have bias like that. I mean, look, we all have bias. We all have prejudice to some degree. I mean, it's just, it's the way you grew up. It's the way, and when I say prejudice, I don't mean in a racial tone, so people don't think of that. But I mean, you know, we, we just, prejudice in the sense that, you know, eh, I may like this more than I like something else, or I may believe in this more uh, than I believe in something else, you know? I mean, it, it's something that we all have a little bit of it in us. And you can't, you can't wipe out bias 100%. You're never going to be able to do that. Because those of us who grew up in different sections of the country, we just see things a, a different way. It's, you know, the old, they, they call... We call it Coke down here, whether it's a Pepsi or a Dr. Pepper or whatever. <laughs> they call it soda up in the north. I mean, it's just, that's just as I mean, pop. it's a crude example, pop. Uh, but that's that's the kind of the way things are on 
across the board on everything. So you're never going to get somebody who's sitting on the bench, who's sitting in judgment of people, who is completely 100% without bias. But you can't have incidents like that. Right. You can't well, have a stated obvious bias that says, no matter what, I'm not going to listen to the facts. I'm not going to consider any of the circumstances. I'm just going to say from now on, anybody that does anything related to a police officer is going to jail. Right. And this is not to suggest that anybody here is pro-crime, but people have to understand that slippery slope with your constitutional liberties. And the American system of justice was not designed to put guilty people in prison. It's designed to keep innocent ones out. And far too many people lose sight of that. It's just like, you know, we've talked before about how the district attorney's office thinks they have to cover when an officer makes a mistake. They forget that their job is they're the lawyer for the state of Texas. They're not representing HPD. They're not representing HCSO. They're representing the state of Texas. And you can either make the case or you can't. Well, and if and you the, can't, get out of it. And the Code of Criminal Procedure right. straight up says their duty is to seek justice, not convictions. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you can have an absolutely safe society, but you're going to give up your right to resist searches and all that kind of stuff where the state can just come and knock on your door in the middle of the night and go through your house and your effects. I mean, you can do that and you can have no crime, but you'll have no freedom. Exactly. So, I mean, that's always been the great trade-off in American society is freedom uh, and safety. You know, you really can't have both. Well, you you can to some degree. I mean, some it's, just, it, it, it's just, I think the pendulum has swung so far that right now we everybody wants to keep the power in government and and you know we're willing we have a situation where again I go back to the fact that we live in a society where we're not lacking for things you know we're not lacking for um, we have all of our basic needs covered in this country for the most part only country where the poor people have electricity and color TV exactly and I, I mean if you go to some of these underdeveloped nations they got a lot bigger problems than yeah. you know whether or not the FBI and the the Patriot Act and whether or not NSA is tapping phones they don't even have phones for god's sake you know um, we're we're on iPhone 7 they don't even have uh, the the StarTac flip phone from you know <laughs> 10 years ago they don't have that right. you know so so we've got what we call first world problems here uh, but in that same vein you know I, I think you still have to, um, you, can, you can have a safe society, but still also have rights under that. I mean, we, we live for that, we lived through that for a long time, and it wasn't really until after September 11th that you really started to see a lot of these liberties. I mean, look at how much the airport has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Big just a trip to the airport. Now, yeah. now, just to go to Dallas, you have to really weigh like, wow. Uh, is it worth is, it? Is it worth it for me to go to Hobby, go through security, and for an hour flight that's going to take me realistically three hours out of my day, uh, when in three hours I could drive there, have my own car, and not have to worry about any delays or anything like that? Absolutely. And yeah. cost less. Yeah, yeah it would be cheaper. Too. <laughs> A lot cheaper. And that high-speed train ain't going to work out because they can't get the geometry right. Right. By that, I mean... Enough. I'm waiting on that high-speed <laughs> train, though. I want that. They can't get the track straight enough. I want it because it's going to come in right by my speeds. house. <laughs> yeah. Is so. this because you want it right by the house so your property will be worth more or just so you can jump on it? No, just so I can go to Texas OU and, and for, to watch my horns on a, on a Saturday and hop the train and go on the train There back. you go. Well, that's what I say. I'd love to I have I had to get train. that in for the Aggie over here. Yeah. I love the train idea, though, because then you could sit there, get some work done, yeah. whatever, on the you know on the way there. Is that or if you're the, going to a game, drink. Or if you're <laughs> on the way to the game, and then you're not worried about drinking and driving. That's right. You're totally safe. Is that the number 11 ranked Aggies? <laughs> <laughs> the uh -oh. form, formerly number 11 ranked Longhorns. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're getting close to the end of the show here. Uh, I know we've spent a whole lot of time talking about kids, uh, so I just have to ask the question. Yes. What is going on with Brad and Angelina's kids? You know, the latest today I saw is that, that they've got now child abuse investigation going on against him. Yeah, and where did got that the, come from? Well, they've got, well, it, uh, you know, it happens in divorce cases, <laughs> whether it's true or not. Right. Unfortunately, the reality is a lot of times in divorce cases, Almost child, every. Ab child abuse allegations uh, can come forward. 
This one's interesting because they allege he uh, physically and verbally may have abused his kids uh, on a private jet flight. Talk about first world problems. That's first first world problems right there. Uh, and, and because it was in the air... Now you got the FBI involved. <laughs> John yeah. and I were joking we, about everybody wants to get the FBI and the feds involved in everything, but because this may have happened in the air, there may be some legitimate jurisdiction on that. Yeah, I mean, well, you God know, forbid you, they work terrorism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I was saying, how do you figure out which part of the state they were over and who's got the jurisdiction? I know. So you got to go federal. You're That's in right. the air. Yeah. Uh, even though it's a private jet, maybe we go with where the private jet started from. Uh, you know, I don't know. But, but again, more one. people are interested in, in Brad and Angelina's divorce yeah. and perhaps child support, uh, child abuse charges. Child support, too. Yeah. Everybody well, wants to know how much she's going to be paying. But, but, you know, the sad thing is, going back to what we just said, more people are interested in that than protecting their own civil liberties. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. They uh, would much rather talk about, yeah. you know, Brad and Angelina and even Brad and Jennifer. Yeah. We're, we're seeing the throwbacks to Jennifer now. Right. You know, we could spend an hour on how social media has ruined this country. <laughs> social media reality, has TV. not ruined no. this country. Is I it? am a big uh, believer in social media. Reality John, TV, on the other hand, reality right? TV, I'm with you on. But social media, I love my social media. I, you can the, catch us on Twitter. You can catch us on Facebook. We're out there. You need to join us. CBS, John, join us. CBS Evening News was publicizing tweets about the pesticide they were using for the Zika virus in Miami, and they show someone's comment from Tacoma, Washington, which I'm thinking, you know, what does that have to do with mosquitoes in Miami? It doesn't, but if and you And that's a whole thing. They sit there because these goofs sitting in their basement publicize <laughs> something, they let it affect public policy. It's true, but if you go on, like, some of these guys... Some of the Amazon reviews and comments and everything mm -hmm. are classic. I mean, some guys will set up and do these comments that are, they are good. Yeah, okay. they are. They're they're all over this. They have all the time in the world, as John says, from the basement. Yeah. That's right. Uh, that's so it. it must be everybody up north. It can't be the southerners because no. we don't have basements. Yeah, that's true. But uh, those northerners up there uh, sitting in the basement, you know, hacking away at the keyboard and hiding behind it. Um, well, Jimmy, I want to thank you so much for coming out oh, it's today. It's been a great time being on here. Uh, we'll, I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime. We'll have you back out here. Y'all remember to catch Jimmy on HCCLA's Reasonable Doubt Thursday nights. Uh, I think we have a bye tonight. It's if, looking like we probably will. Yeah. Uh, so if you're just itching for some Reasonable Doubt, you can go to HCC, HCCLATV.com and pick up some past episodes there. Uh, remember, we're here every Thursday from 2 to 3 for Legally Speaking with Music and Music. Um, thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.